Good morning and welcome. I'm Deb Ruggiero, host of Amazing Women RI, a radio and podcast. You can subscribe for free, available on uh, Apple, Google, Spotify, all your favorite uh, streaming services. And don't forget, if you like our show, leave a review and help us spread the word. I bet you won't even think twice today about having a good meal and not being hungry. Not so, though, for thousands of people who will not have enough to eat today, many of whom are elderly and children. The Rhode Island Food Bank and its 140-member agencies serve more people today than any time before. And my guest is Lisa Roth-Blackman, the Chief Philanthropy Officer over at the Rhode Island Community Food Bank. Lisa's been with the Food Bank since 2007. Prior to that, she was the Development Director at Crossroads, She's a graduate of Dartmouth College, lives in Pawtucket with her husband and two children. And thank you, Lisa, for joining us. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. We hear the term food insecure a lot. What exactly does that mean? So it's a great question. It's a really specific uh, term that uh, the USDA uses in their questionnaire every year to check with people about whether or not they're missing meals. So the question is, you know, were you ever uncertain about where your next meal was coming from? So it's, it's that uncertainty is the food insecurity. And if they report that they're actually missing meals, then they, they you know, that's uh, very high food insecurity. And, um, you know, they're actually going hungry. So it's that uncertainty and perhaps often missing meals maybe the parents are missing meals to feed the kids. That is really the economic straits that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about families being food insecure, there are some people who don't quite understand, you know, how can that be, you know, but yet it's pretty common. What's being done for us to create systemic change uh, to change that? So no one goes hungry at night. Sure. Well, I think in the broad sense, you know, on the one hand, We've seen a lot of changes in the economy in the last year. You know, the unemployment rate is low. Wages generally have gone up, mm -hmm. which is a good thing because that's a big part of this. I mean, if you are in minimum wage, even though minimum wage, I think, is about twelve twenty-five in Rhode Island now. Don't quote me exactly. Um, you're still earning twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars a year for a family of three. You really can't make it with rent, food, utilities, and even the other few basics. Uh, it's not enough for people to get by, even when it's up higher like that. Um, and the other thing that's really been hurting people in the last year or so is inflation. I mean, we're all seeing it at the grocery store, right? Where um, people are surprised by their food bill and how much more things are costing. And for folks who are lower income, that's really the challenge. If rents are up and food is up 13% this mm. year, um, fuel, uh, heating oil is up 43%. So that really cuts into those budgets. And what people do is they make sure they pay the rent, they try to pay the heating bill, they cut back on food, and they're visiting our agencies to try to fill in and make sure that their families have enough to eat. And I think that's a good point between the pandemic, between COVID, between the rising inflation that you're talking about, especially um, with food, it has to pressurize a lot more of the food pantries because people know they need to somehow, you know, feed their families. What is the scope, the magnitude of hunger in Rhode Island? What does that look like? Sure. So uh, speaking for our pantry network, but as you said, we have about 140 uh, member agencies across the state. They're serving more than 63,000 people every month, which is up 20% on average over the last, you know, comparing these six months to the last six months of 2021. 
And what we're seeing there is a combination of inflation that we just talked about, that food costs and other costs are up. And um, a year ago, there were a lot of COVID relief benefits that were people were still receiving. Um, so the federal child tax credit people were still receiving. Um, there was pandemic EBT, so meals um, to replace the school meals. The government gave out a debit card over the summer for folks to be able to purchase those meals, and they actually gave it to families even for kids younger than six. Mm -hmm. That's ended now until next summer when they'll be able to get school meal, uh, summer meals again. Um, and free school meals were also free for the last couple of years to encourage, make sure kids weren't going hungry. So they were free for everybody and um, not just low-income folks. And now um, it's back to being an income uh, qualifying program. And so that paperwork and other things often get in the way of folks getting those meals. Um, and right now there's also additional SNAP benefits that folks are receiving um, to a pretty, pretty significant bump in SNAP. Whenever the federal or state uh, state of emergency ends for the pandemic, which we don't know exactly when it will be, but it right. you know could be soon in the coming months, um, there's a big chunk of money that households are getting every month that they will lose in SNAP benefits, and that will further cut into their ability to buy food. And we know that when kids are hungry, they just don't learn. It's really difficult to be in the classroom with your stomach growling. Are you finding more children and elderly? People don't realize a number of elderly people too are very proud. You know, they don't want to be on uh, SNAP benefits. They feel like they they shouldn't be using these services, but we do have a lot of children and elderly, elderly going to bed hungry. We do. And that's certainly, you know, those vulnerable populations is really our biggest concern because as you said, the kids, if they're not learning, um, you know, it, it's a great loss for our community and for their future development and their growth and what that means for future workers and things in our society. Um, and the elderly, you know, I think there's a lot of folks out there who are on fixed incomes or who are disabled and on fixed income. And they, they struggle to stretch those dollars to make sure that they're getting the food that they need. Mm -hmm. I'm a big supporter of uh, community farms, including our Jamestown community farm that provides produce to Macaulay House in Providence, the MLK Center in Newport, and the Johnny Cake Center down in um, Peacedale, South Kingstown. How important, Lisa, are the community farms to the Rhode Island Food Bank, and how has their role changed over the past several years? Sure. So we have had a, a bigger and bigger focus on providing healthy food to the agencies and the people that we serve, and particularly increasing fresh produce. So last fiscal year, we had distributed 2.7, I believe, million pounds of fresh produce um, out of about 15 million pounds of food. So, um, you know, it is a, still a relatively small percent that comes locally, but it has been growing as we sort of develop further partnerships with both the farm businesses locally, community farms. We've got some deals with Farm Fresh Rhode Island. Um, so I think, you know, the growing season is limited in Rhode Island, right? So a lot of what we receive is donated from um, regional and national wholesalers, things that travel well, you know, carrots, potatoes, onions, apples. Uh, cabbage, things that, um, and then we really are filling in here, especially during the growing season to try to diversify the kinds of items that people get so that they, um, you know, there'll be butternut squash in this season right now. There's lots of that coming in. I see it on our little signage downstairs. Um, you know, there's radishes, cucumbers, tomatoes, and things like that. So it is growing, but mm -hmm. I, I do want to 
put it in the perspective of sort of it's still a relatively small piece uh, just based on how much farmland we have and how long our growing season is here in Rhode Island. Yeah, sure. Well, if you're just tuning in, thank you for joining us. I'm Deborah Giro, host and creator of Amazing Women. Karen Kay is our producer and Amazing Women Our Eyes Now, a podcast. You can subscribe on all your streaming services. My guest is Lisa Roth Blackman, the Chief Philanthropy Officer at the Rhode Island Community Food Bank. And you know, I know you've been there since 2007 and it's a long time. You've seen a lot in nearly uh, two decades. What's one of the most compelling stories you can share that really puts a human face on the hungry in this state? Wow, gosh, there are so many stories. Um, I think, you know, it's when we talk to folks at the food pantries and and they share and so many of them are, are working, right? And they're there because they're still not able to make ends meet. And they're so grateful. Um, all you hear is the gratitude from yeah, folks, um, both from the pantries, the volunteers, and from the folks who are there themselves at how much of a difference this is making. The other um, story I'll share just from more recently is, you know, we, we learned a lot during the pandemic about um, how well we were doing meeting the needs of our current member agencies and also that there were a lot of groups that were being missed and weren't going to those agencies either because they didn't know about them or didn't feel comfortable or didn't speak the language. And so we sort of had to broaden out and think differently about, well, how are we gonna reach everybody in need, right? Whether it's different um, language speaking communities, Southeast Asian communities, some of the Latin community, um, whether it was some elderly folks that were sort of shut in and not able to get out during the pandemic and now, um, and how are you reaching them, Lisa? What are you doing to communicate in different languages so people know the food that is available? Yeah, so we do. Um, there are several agencies that are specifically serving those communities, but in some ways we've had to innovate. So we've um, started partnering just by way of example with the Center for Southeast Asians, who wasn't a member agency before. Um, didn't really feel like we were meeting the needs of their community. And uh, in working with them and talking with them, um, you know, focused in on, well, what foods are they looking for? How do we partner with them? And to have done a couple now of really sort of large, like in a parking lot, food distributions with, you know, giant bags of rice and fish sauce and mm -hmm. other items specifically from those communities. And in some cases, trying to um, purchase those items through the local Asian market. So we're not sort of hurting the market, but we're making sure that we get the supplies that they need and that they will be opening up a pantry to serve their community that we can partner with them to provide more of the foods that they are looking for that really serve their community best. Yeah, we've done that in a, culturally sensitive to the foods that they really want to eat. Exactly. And we've done that quite a bit more in a lot of other communities. So I said we did 15 million pounds of food. One and a half million pounds was what we're calling culturally relevant food. So some of it's fresh produce, but it's avocados and yucca and, um, you know, limes and things like that, plantains, uh, taro root, things that different cultural communities really seek and know how to prepare and want as part of their diet. Sure. Um, we had a story in our impact report a few months back that um, that has been incredibly well received, both by the pantry workers and the folks who are going. And in some cases, people are coming to the pantries because they've heard about it and they weren't coming yeah. before because they didn't think they were going to get any food that they knew or wanted. And now they're coming for help. And so that can only be a good thing for those families.
So when I'd asked you to put a face on, um, you know, who is coming into the, the, the pantries and what does it look like? It sounds like you're saying what I heard you say is a lot of working family. It's working, the working poor, people who are literally working and trying to make ends meet. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think there is a big percentage of working poor. And I think there's a pretty large percentage of seniors on a fixed income um, who did work previously, right? And either are disabled and unable to work or just retired or elderly. Um, and there's some small, there's a percentage of folks, you know, not seniors who are also disabled um, physically or mental health wise who are not able to work and support themselves and they've got their limited social security disability income. So it's really a range of all those folks. And obviously if the mom or dad is coming, there's lots of kids represented, most of whom might not be showing up there at the pantry, although occasionally they do. Um, but that the food is coming back to the households. And you've got a lot of cases where grandparents are raising kids for whatever mm -hmm. reason. Um, a lot of multi-generational so, families. Exactly. Sure. Um, so there's lots of different stories out there and different folks. And yeah, there's some single individual folks. There's a percent of homeless folks. We recently, another innovation we've done in the last um, year, uh, based on actual request from some of our pantries and meal sites, is we created what we're calling a to-go bag for unhoused guests that contains about 16 different items that don't require refrigeration or cooking and are easy to open like pop tops rather than requiring a can opener so that they may come to a meal at say Macaulay House or Amos House and then they go back to sleeping in a tent or on the street or wherever they are, but now they've got some food with them that can carry them through till the next time they go get a meal. Mm, that's great to go bags. I like that. <laughs> and, you know, food is such an important part of all of our cultures, you know, um, now is about 38, 40% of your funding from the federal government, because this is a federal program and people are entitled to eat and have food, which is why, you know, it's available, you know, from the feds, the state. Yeah. So actually funding wise, like from a strict cash percentage, actually much less of our funding. It's almost all private funding. When you look at our food and in our financials, the value of donated food has a dollar amount. So it gets a little confusing there. Mm -hmm. So um, about, yeah, about a third of the food is from the government, some USDA commodities through a couple of federal programs that we run. Um, one is called TFAP, literally the Emergency Food Assistance Program. Um, and that's uh, whatever is being supported by the feds that they're purchasing and then we distribute out to our agencies. Um, the other one is called the Commodity Supplemental Food Program, which is a monthly box of USDA commodities for seniors, low-income seniors specifically. And they just increased our allocation. So we've gone from about 1,700 seniors every month um, to about 2,240 seniors getting those boxes every month, either at our food pantries or we go directly to some of the um, low-income senior apartment complexes and distribute them right there where they're living. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because when we think about food, we forget too that the United States throws away so much food, 103 million tons of food a year. Uh, that's 206 billion with a B pounds of food. That's crazy, right? Um, and and how crazy does that make you, someone who's trying to feed so many people? Yeah. What did you say, 63,000 people a month yep. uh, that yeah. you work with? I was, you mentioned the to-go bags, which is an innovative program for the homeless. Uh, I was reading in the Boston Globe, there's actually a new app, Too Good to Waste. 
yep. uh, which I downloaded where restaurants in Boston and some in Newport and some also in Providence where they will not waste the food after the end of a lunch or the end of a dinner. And they put together surprise bags, you know, and through the app, you can actually show up at the restaurant at a specific time and pick up a surprise bag of food for $3, $5. You familiar with that? And, you know, what do you think about that concept, Lisa? Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I am a little bit familiar with it. I know I've seen a few folks locally posting online about it. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's reaching the folks that are showing up at food pantries or not, um, because it does require the cash and the transportation yeah. to go pick it up and all of that. Um, I, I think, think it's, it's helping great. a lot. What I read is it's helping a lot of students, you know, uh, who, who have access. Yeah. yeah, the app, again, it's too good to waste. Uh, but I thought it was an interesting concept. Yeah. See, you know where it goes, but I think to your point, it's not really reaching the people that you're serving on a day-to-day basis. That's my guess, without knowing exactly who signed up here in Rhode Island. I think you know, as I said, the the cost and the transportation and and the, you know, we we say often it's already sort of a full-time job to be poor, right? Like you mm-hmm. can't just go to the store and buy everything you need, and you have to take a bus to the food pantry, and to if you have daycare for your kid, and so to add in sort of picking up a surprise bag for five bucks at a restaurant, I'd be surprised if a lot of low-income folks are taking advantage of that. That Some may be though, for sure. Mm-hmm. So how much food does the food bank distribute each month, you know, to the 63,000 people that need the food? Yeah. So it's, um, it's you know, the last couple of years, it's been 15 million pounds of food for the year that averages out to about 288,000 pounds of food every wow. week. Wow. Um, so it's really, uh, it's really significant. A lot of folks don't know. They think of us as a sort of a food pantry, but we're actually a big 75,000 square foot distribution center here in Providence. Right. Um, I'd love to encourage you to come go to our website and give us a call. We'd be happy to give you a tour and show yeah. you around. Um, it is pretty and- amazing. I've been through it. And, and you're right. You're a distribution center to the food pantries that are in the community. And, and are these food pantries in every single 39 cities and, and towns in Rhode Island? Almost. I think they're in about 33 in terms of the ones that are members of the food bank. There are some out there that are not members, so they may very well be in every city and town. And um, yeah, we we talk often. And again, this was another big learning from the pandemic is that if if our network isn't strong and stable and open and able to serve mm-hmm. folks and have what they need to stay in business, then we can't reach folks. And so we have right. made some big investments in our member agency network through grants because we've had generous public that we've raised some funds. If they need refrigeration, if they need shelving, we did have some federal funds that passed through for about five or six agencies to get trucks mm-hmm. um, to do pickup from us or to pick up other donations or do deliveries. So we are really invested in making sure the network and the agencies that serve us, which range from big community action programs that serve you know big social service agencies to smaller um, church-based pantries that are serving folks once or twice a month, but wanting to make sure they're strong and that they have good governance and other practices and food safety practices in place so that we can reach folks who need their help. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a lot of people drop off uh, groceries, food to the food bank, but a lot of people like myself write checks. How much of a dollar goes to feeding hungry Rhode Islanders? So it's about, I think these days it's about 75 or 80 cents on the dollar. 
um, goes good. specifically to um, all of our programs. And then, you know, we do have some administrative and other fundraising costs here that keep us going and make sure we can keep doing the work. Yeah. Um, but that's roughly, um, I think, where it goes. And, um, you know, just by way of example, I mentioned about a third of our food comes from uh, the government. Um, about 38% last year was actually purchased at wholesale. So a lot of the dollars are going in our purchase budget has gone from about one and a half million dollars in before the pandemic to six and a half million dollars now. So mm -hmm. the cost both to get the foods that people need and the inflation and the supply chain and the cost of shipping has all really increased our cost to keep up with this level of need. Mm -hmm, absolutely. If you're just joining us, thanks for being here. I'm Deborah Giro, host and creator of Amazing Women Rhode Island. Karen Kay is our producer and Amazing Women RI is also a podcast on all of your favorite streaming. Uh, so please uh, leave a review and help spread the word. My guest is uh, Lisa Roth Blackman. She's at the Rhode Island Community Food Bank. Um, so what's the relationship between the food bank and the local food pantries, and how does someone get into your network? Sure. So we, um, the membership in the food bank um, has folks, you know, and we are a member of a national organization called Feeding America. And so there's a few things that agencies who are members of the food bank and get food from us have to um, comply with, like pretty specific food safety requirements, right? We're bound by that here in our warehouse, and, the, and there's rules about making sure that the food is being stored safely and distributed and handled in a safe manner. And um, the other piece is that um, the agencies are open to anyone. So, for example, a church pantry couldn't only serve their church, they would need to be open to right. the neighborhood. You know, they can gotcha. limit by, say, zip code or other things, but right. um, it has know, to be inclusive. Which has is to be inclusive important. and non-discriminatory and um, and open to all. So those are the big things. And then we offer lots of different um, trainings and workshops and grants and things out to really try to support that network. So a, a new agency bubbling up, they would contact us and our team would look at, well, do how many agencies, if at all, do we have in that area already? And who are they? How many are they serving? And when are they open? Or would this complement or compete with agencies that are already there? Can they partner with somebody? So we look at all those things when we think about taking on new agencies. I wanna talk a little bit about the SNAP program, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. It's really the first line of defense for many families and elderly with limited incomes. And we passed legislation uh, where SNAP recipients now can buy fresh fruits and vegetables at a discounted um, rates. Um, DHS you know, has to do a much better job, I think, in streamlining those SNAP applications and not make it cumbersome for people who need food. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that is so important and what work you're doing to make sure people actually can apply and get access in, in a timely manner? Absolutely. So SNAP is one of the frontline federal nutrition programs, you know, fighting against hunger. It gives people a dollar amount of food, depending on their income level and family size, every month on a debit card to go spend on food in the grocery store. So if they're already going to the store, it's the most efficient way for them to get food. And it, it's, you know, cash in the market as opposed to extra trips to the food pantry. Uh, the application process is challenging and um, people have to recertify. Some of that was on hold during the pandemic. It's kind of all coming back now. So we worry about families dropping off. In response to that, uh, in the last year, the food bank has built a three or four person 
SNAP outreach team, where we've got folks who are in English and Spanish going out to our member agencies to talk to folks, help them figure out if they're eligible, if they are, help them apply, and hopefully enable them to take advantage of that benefit, which makes them less reliant on the food pantry network in the end. So it's a great benefit for households to bring more food and improve food security for all those households. So what can someone who's listening do to volunteer or make a difference? Sure. So we do have some volunteer opportunities out at our member agencies listed on our website. Um, and that's a great place to look. Also, our entire list, if you go to the rifoodbank.org and there's a find food button at the top, that mm -hmm. pulls up the entire list by city and town, where they're located, phone numbers and contact information and all that. And um, you can always reach out to your local agency to see if they need help and what they need. Often it's, can you be here at 10 o'clock on Tuesday to help unload the food bank truck or whatever it is. So, um, and then um, you can always donate either to those agencies or to the food bank. As you heard, you know, so many of our dollars are going into acquiring the food and the trucking and the transportation costs to get it out to our agencies. We can leverage a dollar by purchasing by the truckload at wholesale much further than you can, even at Sam's Club or BJ's or, or wherever. So that is what makes a huge difference in our ability to move the needle on the quantity of food and the quality of food that we provide. So in like 30 seconds, since we're talking food, if you could have lunch or dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would that be, Lisa? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a great question. Uh, who would it be? Uh put me on the spot here. Who would I say? Uh, I, I'd i be curious to meet with Kamala Harris as the first female VP in our country and learn about her experiences and um, her rise and how she's contributed to her community over time. Terrific. Well, thank you for the contributions you've been making at the Rhode Island Food Bank. You've been there, you know, since 2007, and we're very grateful for your work and for the Rhode Island Food Bank. So thank you, Lisa Roth Blackman, for joining me. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate getting to chat with you. My signature since I started this show back in 2004 has always been ending with a quote. This one is from James Thurber. Let's not look back in anger or forward in fear, but around in awareness. I'm Deb Ruggiero. Thanks so much for being here. Amazing Women Rhode Island. Now on podcasts, you can subscribe for free on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, all your favorite streaming services. Thank you so much for joining us. Be kind and stay well.